Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 7 of Rustler's Beware by Arthur Chapman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Roger Moline. Chapter 7 The Masked Horseman Alma Caldwell assumed the burden of managing Nick Caldwell's ranch. She was the only heir of the man who had been dubbed by his slayers the King of the Rustlers, but who, as Bertram had discovered, had some prominent connection with the other side in the cattle war. Most of the Caldwell cattle were running in the hills mixed with the stock from other ranches in the neighborhood. Comparatively little of Nick Caldwell's ranch was under cultivation. Like most other ranchers in that part of the state, he contented himself with raising enough alfalfa for his saddle stock and a little winter feeding, in case of an unusually severe season. But for the most part it was horseback farming that was practiced everywhere. Alma's day was largely spent in the saddle, with her, as a small but valiant bodyguard, went young Jimmy Coyle. There was only one point of difference between the cousins, and that was Alma's dismissal of Milton Bertram. Jimmy not only stood up for the Texan, but visited him frequently during the remainder of Bertram's stay at Uncle Billy's. Also, it was Jimmy who came to Alma with the first news that the Texan had made good his words and had located on a homestead. "'It's up at the headwaters of the Roaring Fork, way up above Uncle Billy's,' said Jimmy. "'Milt's got a cabin all built, and he's took on a partner, a cowboy named Archie Beam, from Swingley's outfit. Beam couldn't stand Swingley's goings-on, so he and Milt have hooked up together. They've got some good range right back of them, and Milt's going to have some cattle drove up from Texas, and I'm betting they make good right from the start.' Alma refused to show any interest. "'I don't see why you're mad at Milt Bertram,' went on Jimmy. "'He's a dandy, I think. And say, I never saw anybody shoot the way he can. He's that quick with both hands. I can see now that it was only fool luck that kept me from being filled full of lead after I had plugged him in the shoulder that time. He never asks about you, but I know he wants to hear all about what luck you're having at ranchin'. I've told him as much as I could about things here, especially about the cattle you've been losing lately. I'm sure there are at least fifty more gone from that bunch over on Devil's Head, said Alma. The other ranchers around here are sure they are losing cattle, 
anywhere from ten to fifty head at a time, but they can't seem to catch anyone at it. Alma was soon to learn, however, that Swingley was not to be content with getting cattle by means of occasional raids. The ranchmen throughout the country were served with notice that the newly organized Cattlemen's Association, of which Swingley was ostensibly the head, intended to put in effect a series of district roundups. All cattle were to be gathered and inspected, and unbranded cattle, or any livestock that carried suspicious-looking brands, were to become the property of the new organization. No sooner were the notices served than the roundups were organized, all manned by association men. The cowpunchers, who had made up the invading army, which was now spoken of only in terms of hatred and contempt by the small ranchmen, were scattered about in small but aggressive delegations with the different roundup wagons. Swingley himself captained the roundup outfit that combed the Powderhorn Valley from its wide reaches on the plains to the final ranch in the foothills. When the riders had gathered the cattle from the vicinity of her ranch, Alma was dismayed at the smallness of her herd. Fully half of Nick Caldwell's cattle had been spirited away. Swingley, as the sole judge and dictator, when the inspection of brands was going on, threw at least half of the remaining cattle into the association's pool. "'It's an outrage,' protested Alma. "'There's no question about the validity of all those brands you've claimed.' "'You don't know nothing about the cattle game, young lady,' responded Swingley callously. "'Every brand I've claimed was made with a run and iron.' Nick Caldwell's title of the King of the Rustlers was well earned, and it'd be better for all who sympathized with him if they moved out of this country without standing on ceremony, added the rustler significantly. We're not through with them yet. The girl did not lose the general meaning of the threat, but at first she did not get its full import. A few weeks later she learned what Swingley had meant. Immediately after the completion of the association roundups, which resulted in many thousands of cattle being seized from small ranchers by the big cattle interests, there began a series of assassinations which soon had the entire countryside terrorized. One ranchman after another, who had been identified with the opposition to the big cattlemen, was shot down by a mysterious rifleman. It was apparent that the work was done by one person, yet the shootings occurred at such divergent points of the compass that it seemed impossible that a single rider could cover so much ground in such a short space of time. Two bachelor brothers, who conducted a small ranch on one of the tributaries of the upper Powderhorn, were shot dead as they sat at their evening meal, the assassin firing with deadly accuracy through the open window. To the cabin door was attached a paper, on which was printed in rude letters, RUSTLERS BEWARE. A day after this double murder, the county was thrilled by the news that Fred Hurstcorn, a prosperous ranchman in another part of the valley, had been shot as he was riding home after a trip to Wild Horse. The ranchman was murdered almost at the door of his home. His wife, who had rushed to the yard at the sound of the shot, had found her husband shot through the head. It was dusk, 
but she described a horseman riding across the prairie on the opposite side of the road. The rider turned with a defiant wave of the hand, and the woman saw that he wore a black mask, covering the upper part of his face. On a tree beside the driveway leading to the ranchman's house was found a sign similar to that posted on the cabin of the assassin's victims on the upper powder horn. The countryside was terrorized, the feeling of helplessness being intensified because the sheriff was notoriously indifferent to anything that was not to the best interests of the big cattlemen. Men were afraid to meet on the main traveled roads. When a traveler saw another traveler approaching, there was a mutual survey at long distance. Then, to make assurance doubly sure, each horseman usually made a detour. Men did not stir outdoors unless they were armed. Curtains were put up at ranch house windows that had never previously known such obstructions to the light. In spite of the fact that hundreds of ranchmen were searching for and laying traps for him night and day, the visitations of the masked horsemen went on. Arson was added to his crimes as he burned the ranch of a newcomer on Lone Lake Mesa after shooting the homesteader as the others had been shot. Again men examined the mysterious square of paper with its poorly printed message of warning. Milton Bertram and Arch Beam, on the headwaters of the Roaring Fork, the stream which later on foamed past the naturalist's cabin, felt that only extreme vigilance could save them from being victims of the assassin. They went cautiously about their work each day, and seldom exposed themselves to fire from the points of attack that covered their cabin without first making reconnaissance. They felt that their caution was not misplaced when, on two occasions, they found pony tracks in the thickets that commanded unobstructed views of their homestead. "'That feller is a real rifleman, whoever he might be,' observed Archbeam. "'He never shoots until he has his man well covered. But some day he's going to slip up, and a better man than he will do the shooting first. I hope that time isn't far off, Arch, returned Bertram. There's no use fooling around in the open with an enemy like that, a man who won't even give you as much warning as a rattlesnake gives before he strikes. He'd simply add you to his victims, as easily as you might mark up another point on a billiard string. A man like that has to be caught off his guard. He knows there are plenty of men looking for him in the open, and that's why he's not going to be caught there. "'Where are you going to get him, then?' asked Archie doubtfully. "'I don't say I'm going to get him,' responded Bertram. "'But whoever does get him...